We're going to be in the Gospels again this week like we were last week. Last week I read from three different Gospels, very short parts of each one. We're going to do the same thing this week. It's just going to be a different story. So you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, and we will also be reading out of Luke chapter 8. And then in between that, you have Mark chapter 4. You also notice that we have uh, the communion set up up here. Haven't done that in a while, so I want to touch a little bit on that at the end. But I want you to be preparing yourselves for communion later. And we're going to do it a little different than what you're familiar with in the past. But there's there's, uh, someone you need to know before you ever understand what the Lord's Supper is all about, before you can actually partake of the Lord's Supper, you need to know someone. And I want to introduce you to that person that you need to know. And his name is Jesus, which you probably already guessed that. So in Matthew chapter 8, starting with uh, verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, Save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. Mark's got the same story, if indeed it is the same story. It, I guess it's possible there could have been another day this happened, but I think it's the same story. And it says, I'm going to read, it's going to sound very familiar to you. And the same day when the even was come, so it was late in the day, he saith unto them, Let us, this is the difference right here. It says, let us pass over unto the other side. Now in Matthew, you don't see it in that portion of Scripture. Now you can back up in Matthew and you can see where Jesus' plan is to go to the other side. But you don't see it in the actual story. But in Mark, you see it. And also in Luke. Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. They took Jesus just the way he was into the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. You don't hear about those little ships in the other two accounts. And that's significant. And All right, I might as well talk about it now because I'll forget if I don't. What you're seeing here is a ship 
that Jesus is on. He's on this ship, and his, the people who are following him are on the ship that he's on. And they're on a journey from one side of this lake of Galilee all the way over to the other side. Now, this is a picture of Jesus taking us through our Christian walk, and he is going to lead us to the other side. Now, these little boats, these little ships, probably didn't make it in this storm. But the ship that Jesus was on is going to make it to the other side, no matter how bad it gets. Now, when you are a follower of Jesus, you have entered into that ship with him, and you're on a journey. Now, just because you're in Jesus, does that mean that there will be no more hard times? Does that mean that there will be uh, no trials and tribulations that you, will go, you won't go through them anymore, right? You're in Jesus, everything's going to be wonderful. They were with Jesus, and one of the worst storms ever came upon them while they were with Jesus. It, we don't become immune to the storms of life because we are Christians. Sometimes it brings on even more. Right? So, someone walks up to me and says, I want to get saved. I want to be a Christian. Sometimes I will tell them, no, you don't. Get on out of here. Is that mean? Am I just, is that just fair warning? Are you sure you want to be a Christian? Are you sure you want that to be your way of life? And... Sometimes, these guys that were on this boat, most of them were on boats, and they were fishing the Sea of Galilee all the time until they met Jesus. They knew that sea really well, and they knew that these things happened on that sea, and they, were, they, they felt like they were pretty good at navigating their ships. They were good at it. And you're with Jesus. They say... Jesus, we're good. This is, this is our thing, right? We can take the wheel. We, can, we, we know what we're doing here. Jesus can be sleeping and not involved, and we're going to be just okay. We're going to be fine. And then, now, was it the devil seeing that Jesus was not paying attention? Or maybe it's that Jesus has, been, has ascended and he's up in heaven now, and he's, he's not here. We can't see him. But are we in Jesus even though he's up there? And are we trying to do what we feel like we're good at without him? Did the devil cause this wind to come up? Did, did, did Satan say, that Jesus is in that boat. I need to sink it and kill him. And was it the devil? Because... It says that when Jesus was woken up by his disciples, it was a real quick prayer. that they, they, they realized that even though they were doing what they knew best, they were professionals, that this storm was about to kill them. The waves have come over top of the boat, and it's filling up with water. And Jesus said, we're going to the other side, but they're thinking, we're going to the bottom. Now, there may be times in your life 
that you feel like you are so overwhelmed and that you're going down. But remember what Jesus said, that if you stay with Him, that He's taking you to the other side. When we all get to heaven, what a wonderful day that will be, a glorious day that will be. So I think this is a picture of, of that. There's going to be storms in our life, and how do we get through them? It's going to Jesus, and even though you may not see Him, He's there, and you need to pray to Him just like these guys did. But those who were on the little ships, there was no Jesus with them. So don't be on a little ship without Jesus. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat unto the ship, so that it was now full. It was about to go down. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Sometimes when we are going through the storms of life, we call out to God and say, God, do you not care about me anymore? God, are you there? How can you be letting me go through these things? Remember that we are not immune to those things that happen in this world. We are being tested to find out what we're really made of. Do we really believe in Jesus and what He can do for us? Are we keeping our eyes on Him because He promised us that we're going to get to the other side if we stay with Him. But when we start to look at all those things that are happening, it's like, remember when Peter saw, when they saw Jesus walking on the water, and he wanted to go out and walk on the water too, and Jesus was like, come on. And he stepped out of the boat, and he actually walked on the water for just a few steps. Peter did. And, and he was looking at Jesus. But then all those waves and all the wind, and he started looking at his surroundings. He took his eyes off Jesus, and immediately he started to sink. And his last words were, save me, and Jesus was right there and pulled him up out. 39. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, the reason that I asked earlier was, uh, I asked, did, the, did Satan cause this storm? And the fact that Jesus has woken up and he rebukes the wind. In the New Testament, when you see the word rebuked, it's almost always has to do with evil spirits, devil-type things. Jesus rebukes there's only a couple times in the New Testament that I can think of where it's not used in that way. And, and that's why I feel like this might be the devil himself that has caused this thing to happen. So God allows the devil to do certain things. He's using the devil, actually uses him. Remember the story of Job? Go back and read the beginning of Job. And... Satan shows up at an angel meeting in heaven. And God notices him and says, oh, hey, what's going on? And the devil's like, oh, you know, going from here and there. I'm just going to be doing my thing. 
And then Job, uh, well, God said, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one, I mean, he's just so righteous, there's no one like him on the earth. And, and, and Satan said, well, you know what, if you took all of his blessings away, he'll curse you. And God's like, no, I don't think so. I'll let you, I'll, let, I'll prove it. And he used Satan to go down and to take everything away from Job. But God said, you just can't kill him. But you can take everything else away, and Job never did curse God. Never did. So, the Lord uses fallen spirits, the devil, he uses them for purpose. And we don't like it. If Satan is going up and down between here and, and heaven, and I don't want God saying anything about me. Have you considered my servant? I, whoa, whoa, I don't need that. I don't need any of that. But what if he did that to you? Would you be able to handle life's storms and still make it to the other side? 40, and he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Now, we are instructed to have faith. Now, we have the Word of God. We have the whole story of who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Think about who he is. Jesus is the Son of God. That's who he is. And we can have faith in him when we're in him and we're keeping our eyes on him. When we take our eyes off of him, our faith starts to go down. We start to lose, we have less and less faith. All right, something's going to fill that. Something's filling that void. If faith starts to go out, something else is going to come in, and it's fear. But if you have faith, fear can't get in. And that's what he says right there. Why are, you so, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey? In Luke, the same story, starting with 22, and these are very short stories, so. Uh, in Luke it says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over on the other side of the lake, and they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Now, remember, we all are in that condition. We're all perishing, and we need to call out for him. We are going to the bottom. We are going down if we don't call out to him and admit that we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked, rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they, and they ceased and there was a calm. Now, I want you to think about, think, all right, we have a stormy sea. We have a sleeping master. He's sleeping. You ever seen the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan? You ever seen that, Saving Private Ryan? There was that one soldier 
the uh, sniper guy. Remember the sniper? And he was always quoting Bible verses. Everywhere they went, he was, he was just quoting. He, when they got in a real bad situation, uh, you, he'd be, he'd be uh, putting another round in there with that bolt action. It's like, uh, lead me through the valley of death, you know, all that. You know, he was just quoting scripture over and over and over, every, all through the movie. And there was a place where they had got, gone into, I don't know if it was a church, it was some type of building, and they were all, it was the middle of the night, and the bombs were going off. You can hear all this commotion outside, and everybody was awake except for that guy. And he was soundly sleeping. And, one, and they were just watching him. And the one soldier, he said, how can he sleep through all this? And the other guy said, clear conscience. He's just, he's a man of God. He has no fear. He can die right now. He's not one bit fearful of it. He's full of faith. That's what, that's, that's what that guy was in that movie. And he ended up dying. He was up in that tower knocking off his enemy, and the tank come around, and he was gone. But he had no fear whatsoever. You know, we need to be, Jesus, was, he wasn't scared. The ship was about to sink. He woke up. No fear whatsoever. We need to be like that. We need to be a people that are bold, that don't fear death. Don't fear what the devil can do to us because we know that if we resist the devil, he'll flee from us. Also, think about when the Savior is rebuking his disciples about this fear. Why have you let fear creep in? If Jesus is truly in the boat, you go back to the story of Noah. Big boat, right? Story of Noah. And look at, after the ark was complete, and they get the uh, animals, all the animals come, they get everything situated. And in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, God calls out to Noah, and he said, Come thou, you and your family, come into the ark. That's what you get out of the King James Bible. Come into the ark. Well, you look at some of these other newer versions, it'll say, go into the ark. And you'll read right by it and don't think nothing of it, right? Now, if I want my wife to be close to me, and, and I, I say, come to me. I don't say, go to me. If, if, when you say go, you're telling them to go away from you, but if you say come, coming closer to you. So was God in the ark? The ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. That big ark that was covered in pitch, you can go back, you can can, uh, look at uh, even the story of Moses later on when they took that little ark, they made that basket and covered it in pitch and Moses was placed in there, that was a safe place. So the ark is a picture of Jesus, and are you in the ark? When destruction and and chaos comes, judgment comes on the earth, and all that floodwaters come in, are you in Jesus to where you're lifted up above all of the judgment? If you're in Jesus, and Jesus was in that ark because God said, come 
into the ark. Be nearer to me. Be with me. So words are very important in the Bible. Don't change any of them. Uh, don't take any away. Don't add any to. In Sunday school today, we were reading about Acts. We were, in the, we were just talking about the book of Acts. I figured we'd, well, we'd talk about several different books of the Bible, but we only got through Acts, just talking about it. We were just overviewing it. And Joseph was reading out of Acts 36 and talking about uh, the eunuch being, being, uh, wanting to be baptized. He's like, there's water, what doeth hindereth me to be baptized? And then Joseph read, read all about that in Acts 36, 37, 38. And I said, what are you doing? I'm like, you're reading out of the King James. Because 37 is not in the other versions. Uh, verse 37 is gone. NIV, we got some of them here. 37 is gone. If you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, you can't be baptized. But until then, the baptizing is not going to do you any good. So we understand that words are important and the Bible is pure and that you don't take anything away from it. So shame on anybody who's taken any verses out and don't add anything to it. We are told at the very end of our Bibles that anybody who does, uh, they will suffer the plagues that the Bible talks about. If you add, those plagues will be added to you. If you take away, your part will be taken out of the Lamb's Book of Life. And uh, it's a very serious thing that we believe the Word of God and that we do not change it and that we do not take the Word come into the ark and change it to go. Something that simple, something that innocent. Don't do it. Don't change it. Now, of course, Jesus is able. They're so, they, they, they're like, who is this? What manner of man is this? He rebuked the water, the raging of the water, and he said unto them, where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. Something else we were talking about in Sunday school was Jesus had to come in a way that nobody would have... If you were writing the story yourself, Jesus, when he first came to earth, he would have came in some miraculous way so that everybody would have known it was him. But God did it differently. Jesus came as a little tiny baby. He was conceived in a womb. And you must believe that it was the womb of a virgin. It, if you don't believe that, you need to study the Word of God and understand that that is true. Because Jesus had to be a perfect, sinless human to be able to be a sacrifice for us. Had to be. So if he was just a good person, he was not suitable to be a sacrifice for us. He has to be 100% human to be a sacrifice for humans, but at the very same time, he must be 100% God. What manner of man is this? That's the title of today's message. What manner of man is this? 
It's 100% God and 100% human at the same time. Notice all of your uh, superhero movies. They all copy the Bible. Joseph and I, Joseph brought it up to me. He was talking about Avengers and, what is it, Endgame? Avengers Endgame and, and uh, the bad dude. And he wanted, to, he could explain it way better than I could because I don't really get it. I don't like the, any of those movies. I, don't, I just don't like them. But if you look at the things that happen, the numbers that are involved, the things that they try to do, they're, they're copying the Bible. They're kind of come up with a, with a Jesus, a superhero. Work on a sermon about that, okay? Work on a sermon. He'll, he'll preach it and he'll explain it way better than I can. What manner of man is this? If you don't understand who Jesus is, you are going to struggle in this life, and after this life is over, it only gets worse. You think the storms are bad. While you're here, walking on this earth, wait until that's over. It gets way worse if you don't know him. Now, I pray that uh, you do know him or you're interested in knowing him and you're going to seek him. You're going to earnestly look for him. That's, if, you didn't, if you didn't hear last Sunday's message, if you, if you didn't get that, you really, really need to look it up on the podcast or get the CD from somebody. There are CDs around here that, you know, I, I get a CD every week. My wife would love for me to hand it to you because we got a pile of them at the house. If you need a CD, let me know. But last week we were talking about the leper. It was called The Leper Healed. And then on Wednesday we went over it again on Wednesday and really broke it down. And you need to hear that message to understand that you are, like the leper, have a disease that is incurable. Leprosy is a type and picture of sin. And we all have that disease. When we come into this earth, we have been uh, infected by sin and that it's going to permeate throughout our bodies and kill us one day unless we have a divine intervention from Jesus, okay? That's the only way it's going to be cured is through Jesus. So if you know Jesus, we are to always remember his broken body and his shed blood. And that's what communion represents. So with communion, we have bread that has been broken into pieces, and that represents Jesus' body being broken. And then we have, uh, which in the Bible they talk about the wine and the grapes, and that represents the blood that was shed, and the blood is what cleanses you. So we have uh, red grape juice here, and we make it available. Now, when you become a born-again child of God, the Lord's table is open for you and it supplies your every need all the time, every day. The Lord's table, it's, it's where your uh, provision comes from on a daily basis. Now, the Lord's Supper is different 
we do that as, so we have water baptism that we, we do as a sacrament, and we do the Lord's Supper as a sacrament. It's the two things that Christ himself wanted us to do in remembrance of him, and so we do that from time to time. Some churches will do it every single week, others once a month. There's churches I know of that would do it twice a year. I mean, it's way different. I don't know the exact uh, how many times you're supposed to do it. I know a couple who prays for us all the time that live all the way, about like an, almost an hour away from here. Uh, you've heard me talk about them before. They're the ones who sent you know, quite a bit of money when we, when we prayed and we were trying to separate and we were about to give up and they sent us a decent amount of money. Uh, they take communion every night as a couple at night before they go to bed. They, they get together, pray, and take communion every night. So people do it differently. And so I'm going to read a little bit out of... Uh, I mean, Jesus talked at the, at the Last Supper. Jesus talked to his disciples about communion, what we, what we think of as communion. And I want to read some things to you out of 1 Corinthians so that you will understand communion a little better. All right, I'm going to go ahead and go to, if you, just for your notes, you can read uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 16-22 on your own time if you're interested. And that's, that's more about the Lord's table. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, what I'm going to be reading from, and I'm going to start reading at uh, verse 23 through 34. Pay close attention to this. Now, remember, Paul was not around when Jesus had the Last Supper with his disciples. He wasn't involved. And then after Jesus died, Paul ended up being a persecutor. He was, his name was Saul. Saul of Tarsus, and he persecuted this new church. And then Jesus came to him after and a blinding light on the road to Damascus, and Paul was changed. And then the Lord Jesus taught Paul personally about this very thing. And he says in verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it, and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That's serious, okay? Me neglecting to offer this to you is serious as well. And I've already admitted my fault and not doing this as often as we should. I don't want it to be a religious ritual. I want it to be real. 
and I'm afraid in past times it's been very ritualistic and didn't have the meaning and there was no warning behind it and it was just something that everybody did because other people did it. If you feel like you're not ready, don't feel bad about not taking communion. Don't let it bother you. Nobody's going to judge you. Okay? I want you to feel like it's available and it's here for you and we're doing it in remembrance of Jesus and what he did for us. If you feel like you need to um, have more time before you take communion and you want to really make sure that you're a born-again child of God, um, you can talk to me. There's other people here that you can talk to and you can pray about it and get things right before you uh, take communion. 28 says, But let a man examine himself, and, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, this has to do with a born-again child of God as well. You are a born-again child of God, but there are things that are wrong in your life and you know they are, or you haven't forgiven somebody that you should have forgiven, there's all kinds of things that could cause you to take, in, uh, take the communion unworthily. Notice what happens when a person who's a believer takes the Lord's Supper unworthily. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That means you're dead. Now, if this was an unbeliever, it would say, and many have died. But this is talking about the believers who take it unworthily because a Christian never really truly dies. And the Bible all the time talks about Christians as sleeping. They're just sleeping. Jesus even said that about Lazarus. He'd been dead for four days. And his sister said, he stinketh. Don't roll the stone away. Lord, by this time, he stinketh. That wasn't no problem, no problem for Jesus. The very one who said, uh, who rebuked the wind and calmed the sea, he waited for Lazarus to be in corruption, body deteriorating. Because it's one thing, all right, this little girl, she just died, and raise her back. Well, we do that today. You know, if they just passed, you can go over and maybe get the heart started again, and you can resuscitate, right? Well, there was no, no mistake made about Lazarus. He was dead, and he stinketh. And Jesus said, come forth. And he rose from the dead. But like Jesus said, oh, he's just sleeping. Really? Just sleeping? Yeah. If you're in Christ, and when you die, you're just sleeping. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Now that's talking to Christians. Remember I told you a story a long time ago? Uh, John, I think it was Alan Redpath was uh, in England visiting some friends. This was a long time ago. And the couple that he went to see, they had two little boys that were very rambunctious. And the, the older ones wanted to go out for an evening dinner, and they left the two boys at home. 
So they went out. The boys got into all kinds of mischief. No parents around. They were just going crazy. And they knocked over a very expensive vase that their mom had at the center of the table. She was so proud of it. Knocked it over and broke it in pieces. So when the parents were like, well, you know, we've been gone a little too long. We really need to get back to these boys. Who knows what they're doing? So they hurry home, and they expect all this commotion when they get there, but they open the door up, and it's total silence. And they walk into the house, and on the table there's a note amongst all those pieces of that vase. And the note said, Dear Mother, we have broken your wonderful vase. We have sent ourselves to bed with no supper. That's self-judgment. They had sent themselves to bed with no supper. Now, how can you, after that self-judgment, go up there and get them out of bed and spank them and say, how, why did you break my vase? They had already realized they had done something wrong, and they did something about it. When we, as little kids, look up to our Heavenly Father and say, Lord, we messed up, and this is what we've done about it. It's better for you to judge yourself and to punish yourself than to wait for him to do it. He's really good at chastising. Okay, now, just to show you that that's what it really means, uh, it's, not, it's not condemnation, it's chastisement. This judgment isn't about going to hell or heaven. This judgment is about being, being uh, taken out behind the woodshed by your heavenly Father or not. Because it says it right in the next verse. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. See the difference? As Christians, we're not going to ever be condemned if we're truly a born-again child of God. We can mess up. We're going to be chastened, corrected, punished by the Lord, but never condemned. Okay? You might be sick. He might even kill you if he has to, to keep you from ever totally falling away. Wherefore, my brethren... I don't need to read anymore. All right, so through uh, 32, and that just gives you a little bit of understanding on communion. And uh, before we do that, I'm going to finish up with prayer, and that way the podcast and all that can be you know, done. And then we're, we're, I'm going to um, give you an opportunity to take the bread and the juice, if you would like. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for this message from your word. And Father, we, uh, we realize that Jesus was not just a man, but Father... He is you in the flesh. Father, Jesus is the way. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us to cleanse us of our sins. And Father, we are remembering that today. Father, I know that each and every one of us, we need to know what the Word says about salvation what the Word says about our walk and this great ship ride through our Christian life, 
where there will be storms. And Father, we know that as long as we are in Jesus, we are inside of Him, we have come into the ark to be near You, that we are in a safe place, but not immune from all those things that happen while we're here on this earth. And Father, as we go through those trials and tribulations, those, those things that test us, those things that may uh, cause us to lose faith and, and we see fear creeping in, but Father, I pray that we would be a people who would recognize and to not take our eyes off of Jesus. That our fear would start to go away, faith would come back, and Father, we will make it to the other side. In Christ's name we pray, amen.